Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. As we always do, someone's here to run through some of the bigger stories of the weekend. Today, it's uh, the author Adele Coffey, the award-winning author. <sighs> Uh, Adele Coffey, who uh, won at the Unpost Irish Book Awards last week for Crime Fiction Book of the Year uh, for Breaking Point. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm still, I'm getting a thrill out of hearing you say that. Um, yeah, it was amazing in a total daze. And I did that thing that people say they do where you don't realise you've won because I was waiting to hear the name of the person and they said the name of the book and not the person. They said Breaking Point and I oh. thought, oh, I don't know her. Well done to her anyway. <laughs> and then I realised, oh, that's my book. So it was great. But uh, yeah. When you win, do you have to go and make a speech or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, and I made a show of myself. It'll be on telly on December the 7th so you can see me crying. You cried? <laughs> oh, that's It wasn't nice. full Halle Berry now, but uh, I was very shocked. So I just tend to burst into tears when I get a fright like that. Okay, was it your first time winning an of award course, for a book? Of course, my first book. Okay, that's a good point. Yes, stupid question. Yes. Very, uh, very, uh, it was just very shocking and very surprising and obviously very lovely as well. Yeah. um, But sure, there were loads of brilliant people up like, you know, I just, I was fully, I was practising my greatest loser face all week as well. You're, oh, I'm delighted for that. Oh, well done. Sure, sure, she's, they're all brilliant. Well done. And I'm so honoured. I'm so honoured. But uh, I really was honestly expecting to have to pull that face out. And, you know, my friend was saying to me during the week, she's like, no, it's not reaching your eyes yet. It's not reaching your eyes. You have to get it up to the eyes. (laughs) sell it, and yeah. Like, it's still coming off a bit bitter. <laughs> it's just like, oh God. Um, but like, obviously I didn't think i win. I really wanted to win and I'm delighted I did. Do you, you, do you just get an award or do you get an old check? No, you, you get an award but you can't put a price on that, Sean. No, you literally <laughs> could. <laughs> no, you, you can can't. stick it on a done deal and see what you get for it. No, <laughs> Stop it now. That no. means a lot to me and I'll have it for the rest well, of my life. Well, and congratulations. Well, the first of many. Unless uh, one of the children knocks it over, it's made of glass. Oh God, you have to leave it very high up yeah. then. Yeah. So uh, some of the stories, I suppose there was lots of uh, demonstrations at the weekend, yeah. kind of unrelated subjects. Yeah, really. on, like housing obviously seems to be really coming to a head now in, uh, well, in our country and certainly in the news and the media and in people getting mobilised and out on the streets like this weekend. There was a huge rally, um, which I think people probably heard about because the actor Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones, people know him best as he was involved in the rally. And, you know, he said the reason he was involved in that was because, um, you know, his house is paid for, he's he's covered his grand, but he um, he's marching, he said, for his children and for uh, other people's children, for our children. Um and yeah, like it's hard not to disagree with that. You know, there was the Raise the Roof um, rally and basically just looking for more housing, affordable housing, uh, a future for people. As Cunningham was saying, um, his daughter and her husband, he was saying they're very, you know, they're officially high flyers. You know, they've got big degrees and PhDs and mm. he said the social contract is broken. I think that's how a lot of people are feeling now. It's like, you know, you, you it used to be the case that, OK, you work hard and you're rewarded with um, the ability to get a mortgage and buy a reasonable house and start your life and raise a family if you want to do that. And now it seems like no matter, unless you're part of the, what, the top 1% or the top 5% in the country. It's a struggle for everybody and all those sort of 
problems that are filtering out from that, like, you know, familial problems, like having to move back in with your parents at the yeah. age of 30 yeah. or more and or, you know, having to try and have like a sexual relationship in your in your childhood home with your parents next door, mm. trying to raise children. And I know that other cultures do that. And the, the idea is gorgeous of intergenerational living. But if you're trying to do that in a three bed semi-D with like paper thin walls, it's it's not as romantic as it sounds, yeah. is it? There's a kind of a generational split there then as well, because there's a kind of a whole generation of people who manage to do all those things yeah. to buy the house and it's impossible for their kids to do it. Absolutely. And um, I know there's a, a great deal of resentment there and understandable resentment. Um, I'm sure not towards people's parents, but towards the older mm. generation um, as a whole, where people feel like, well, you guys got to do all this. And now for us, we have to leave the country, we have to leave our families, we have to go somewhere else and find um, try and start a new life with no connections, no support, no friends uh, and and start from scratch. And I know Leo made a comment last week about the grass being greener, but Una Mullally has a great piece in the Irish Times today uh, referring to that and kind of suggesting that the particular cities he chose, like Sydney and New York, they're the two exceptions um, to... Oh, no, rural. yeah, they're exceptionally expensive. But yeah, mm. there's many places Whereas, in like Europe. Barcelona, have, yeah. Amsterdam, you can still go to these places and uh, and afford a, a much nicer uh, or a much better place and a much cheaper uh, cost of living, I think, than here. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to see just like... <sighs> It feels like it's coming to a pinch point. You know, Dara O'Brien, the housing minister, seems to, like in the weekend's papers, he was making an offer of 100 million to councils to pay off their debt on land if that land is used uh, mm. for housing within the next year or two years. I think 2024 was the sort of outer limit. So like they do seem to be um, looking for radical solutions now. Yeah, but apparently the the whole process of getting permission to build on that land is extremely onerous and a lot of local authorities just don't bother because it, 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 that itself can take years. To yeah, do. I presume so. And, and like he seems to be suggesting that it would be for the modular housing. Um, like you would have thought that the Minister for Housing might be able to... Uh, Speed things up a, a bit. little influence there. Yeah, because there's a danger if you put too much pressure in terms of speed that what gets built mightn't be up to and, scratch. And we've seen yeah. that in the past. That but in the like, past. you've hit 11,000 homeless people now, which is unprecedented. It is a new record. Um, I think 3,500 children within that number um, mm. going to be homeless this Christmas. I... You know, I don't think that anybody should be expected to live in subpar accommodation. But I think at this stage, it, it is a case of we need accommodation and it might have to be, um, you know, of obviously of a standard, but it might have to be rudimentary, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's got to be better than living in yeah. a hotel room with your three children. That And the, the Raise the Roof protests, I just kind of wonder... Was it scheduled for this weekend in, in a way to kind of reframe the argument about housing uh, away from perhaps some of the points that were being made at the East Wall protests or yeah. at least by some people? Now? Yeah, and I think, I think, and this is a point that actually Una Mullally was making in her column today, is that the housing crisis is, it's so acute now that, that and people feel so much for the suffering they're seeing of, you know, of Irish people. We, we're seeing... Um, we're seeing all this suffering and because that housing crisis is not being dealt with, there hasn't been a solution offered just yet. 
it's causing resentment in other areas instead of welcoming, um, you know, refugees who are mm. in need and refugees who we've a legal international agreement to um, house. It's causing resentment there and it's it's starting to um, open a crack for far right people to come in and um, maybe exploit that resentment that people are feeling. And um I think that's a, we're in a, we're at a really dangerous point around that now. Yeah, there were, the, the the piece that uh, was in the time making that comparison between well, this oh, is, you yeah, talking about Pat Leahy's yeah, Pat Leahy's piece, piece oh, about yeah, yeah, that, like I mean, there's a class element in this as well. Completely, Pat Leahy wrote a piece um, on Saturday, and the headline was "Protests in East Wall Judicial Judicial Reviews in Dublin 4. and he was, uh, you know, he's talking about how. Everybody's out freezing their butts off in East Wall, ma- protesting about the need for housing. And um, it, it seems like, in fairness to the people of East Wall, it seems like they are simply looking for some answers about who's being housed in their area and that busloads of other protesters are being brought in and tacked on to the local um, residents' uh, protests. So they're looking for answers about who's being housed in their area. But Pat Leahy was making the point that, um, you know, 20 years ago in in Dublin 4, when uh, such a kind of housing um, unit was going to be set up on Nutley Lane, which is just where RTE, as people might know it, um, it was uh, taken to the High Court uh, by a doctor, a dentist, a barrister and two engineers among the group of residents who took to the High Court. (laughs) challenge to locate a reception centre for asylum seekers. And then, even though that judicial review um, was denied, the reception centre was never actually built. It was abandoned. And um, the there was a deal done with a uh, with a developer, I think. Um, they sold the land to, the develop- to a developer and he said he would supply so- social housing. But the social housing was supplied somewhere out in like Dublin 15 in Ongar. And Brock House on Nutley Lane is now... Uh, suites for holiday apartments offering a luxury stay in the leafy suburbs. So, Patley, who was making a very good point, yes. which is if you have the means, if you have the spare cash, if you have the expertise and the third level, level education to go to the High Court and be taken seriously because your address is Dublin 4 and not Dublin 1, you know, it's a whole different ball game there. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And so, therefore, the, the, but there's probably many parts of the country, or indeed, of Dublin, certainly, where the posher parts, where they probably go, ah, we won't even bother trying to put one there because we know what will happen. Uh, yeah, and, and like that's really disheartening yeah. to think that, that there is that kind of um, just a different way of thinking about people, different way of treating people who are supposed to be all equally valid. And oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, but I suppose from the point of view of the people who make these decisions, it's hassle. Where, where can I get it done more quickly? And they're not really maybe thinking about the message that sends to that community. You're less important because we think we can get away with it here. You'd be a great politician, Sean, wouldn't you? <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I'd be totally corrupt if I was. I'd be open to bribes. Uh, right. So the, uh, the World Cup. Now, this is the most. No, I was unaware of the story, but they, well, like all the all the English wags were kind of locked up in a luxury jail kind of thing. Like I. We haven't had a WAGS interest of this level since like the the vintage era of WAGS yes, yeah. back 20 years ago. But yeah, so all the WAGS, apparently 50, 
around 50 wives and girlfriends, as WAG stands for, um, have been housed on this luxury yacht um, just docked in Doha. And um, they've all been kept, well, sorry, the English team, I should say, the English team's wives and girlfriends have been kept away from them. And they've been living it up on this uh, luxury cruise liner. Um, that cost a billion euro or something. I mean. Like it, it's, it's so expensive as to be meaningless now. Um, but they're drinking champagne every night. They've racked up a 23,000 euro bill at the bar. And uh, England manager Gareth Southgate has been keeping them away from the team. Uh, they were separated for 11 days and they were finally allowed to reunite there uh, the other day. But he drew the line at the bedroom. And now this is all supposedly to stop COVID coming into the team. Uh, go away. But the, the United States um, players are allowed in the same bedroom as their girlfriends. And mm. so were the Spanish team. But the Spanish um, manager uh, said uh, he was happy for his players to have sex the night before matches as long as there are no orgies. He's like, let's keep it reasonable. Well, that's lads. reasonable, yeah, yeah. really. Because, I mean, that would be tiring. It would uh, be, yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I couldn't say from experience now, but it would probably be I just imagine tiring. it would be. Like, <laughs> all the lads are coming over. They're, they're, oh, God. Why would they? That's a weird thing to do. Because I thought that was utterly debunked, that idea that, you know, that I know, sex I, depletes your energy or something. Well, like, sure. You know, there's some people who would argue it gives you energy, like yeah. a little dynamo. Indeed, yeah. However, I do think that... You know, if you've got a big day ahead of you, you want a good night's sleep and an early night and maybe not too much distraction. Well, yeah. But but think a, of it a as caring, before an exam. Yeah, but a caring partner, for, for the most part, would want you to have that. Indeed. You think. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't, like, are one of these wives and girlfriends going, no, no, stay up until two in the morning doing shots with me. And I can only imagine, like, they're out shopping all day. They seem to be partying on this cruise line all night. And... Um, I, I was amazed actually how young they are. Is that a sign of me getting old? But all the wives, like wives married at the age of like 26, 27. Some of the girlfriends are only 22. I was thinking, gosh, like that's very early to commit. But maybe if you're marrying a man who earns like a few hundred million a year, it's probably OK. What it? first attracted you to millionaire Paul Daniels? <laughs> it's always back to that question. Uh, and uh, the uh, Prince and Princess of Wales are oh, on yes. their way to Boston to try and perhaps distract people from the, the other yoke that's coming oh, out of the, docu- the goodness, Netflix documentary. God almighty. It seems, do you know what? I normally don't really care for the, uh, for the royals, particularly for Harry and Meghan. Like, I have sympathy with Meghan. I think she got a very raw deal. I think she got a very, very bad press. But yeah. at the same time, I find her a bit painful. So, you know, normally don't bother with them. But it seems now like William and Kate, now that they're prince and princess, they're they're entering into the fray. And uh, Harry and Meghan are, you know, they're big on the scene in America. And so the, the reason this is in the newspapers is they're both being taking part in these um, sort of gala events, charity events. And it's being described as a battle for Diana's legacy. Who will be the greatest humanitarian child of Diana's? And um, so the Duchess, well, we just call them Meghan and Harry because I don't even know if they still actually have a right to that title or not. I don't think they I do. I don't know either. But yeah. they refer to as the Sussexes still. But um, so they're getting an award um, for sort of... Uh, exposing the um, the structural racism at the heart of their uh, family. So it's a, an award for moral courage and it's been given by the Kennedys Foundation. Um, but it's already invoked a bit of mockery now in America. It seems like they actually, their welcome is wearing a bit thin. Like they, people are pointing out the fact that, you know, they've got this narrative of victimhood, but they don't actually... Um, 
live the life of a victim. They live a very luxurious life, obviously. Mm, yeah. Um, and people are starting to notice that uh, dissonance. Um, meanwhile, Kate and William are going to this very worthy award, which is, um, it's called the Earthshot Prize. It's to do with uh, environmentalism and um, apparently it's it's not very glitzy. It's not very glamorous. It's all about the worthiness and the work and the people who actually do things to save the world. While uh, Meghan and Harry, it's all a bit kind of um, self-rewarding. Uh, and William and Kate are given this prize away, or are they getting yeah, it? Yeah, no, they're oh, not yeah. getting it. They're yeah. giving it. See, that's even more uh, selfless than uh, being awarded a prize. Yeah, but see, at the same time, like, the, yeah, the, the, the media, oh my God, this is a battle. But like, aren't they just doing their job? I don't know. Like, you know, they're both on the same coast, uh, on, on the same weekend, a um, mm. few hundred miles away. And like, really, what... Um, like Harry and Meghan live in the States. What are William and Kate doing? They're like, they're British royals. They've no yeah. business being on that coast really, have they? Because I imagine booking uh, like two royals might take a while. It's like, like you know, God, this thing's happening. We'll yeah. bring them up and get you, them over next weekend. You might be able to cross check your calendar a little yeah. bit there. Uh, I would imagine it's complicated. So it might be just a coincidence. Uh, no, I don't think it is. But also, <laughs> <laughs> Sean, don't be so naive. But it also <laughs> might be, it also might be like four utter talentless non-entities uh, engaged in meaningless symbolism on, on issues they have absolutely no effect on. Well, actually, I think that's probably the perfect description of these people, Sean. Thank you. Non-entities, yeah. Yeah. But um, they are being described, so William and Kate are being described as the uh, the sort of the boomer generation's favourites and Harry and Meghan are the woke generation's favourites. Right. OK. Well, you're welcome to them. Uh, Adele, thanks a million as ever. Uh, that's Adele Coffee there. Home now to uh, uh, polish up the award. Uh, Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.